Welcome back to Tales from the Subterranean Playground, brought to you by Immerse 5 Recording Services, LLC. This is Season 1, Episode 9, and as always, I'm your host, Mark Allen J. For those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope you had an enjoyable summer. As you may have noticed, we were on hiatus, many irons in the fire, as some people would say, but now we're back. This is the continuation of Episode 8 that featured Dr. Mark French and Michael Harrington. And one of the things we talked about, at least in the outro of that episode, was the idea that we were going to revisit more on guitar as well as explore some of the facets of pedal steel guitar. And we're definitely going to do that in this episode. However, there's one thing that I wanted to revisit, and that was in the last episode, we had... Michael play the two guitars that Dr. French had built. And when I did that podcast, I essentially bookended the guitars. You heard one guitar being played, and then there was a discussion about its elements, and then you heard the other guitar. And I did that pretty deliberately. I wanted to have some space between the guitars. However, I also have been thinking about the fact that when I used to work in industry, one of the things we did was a fairly common experience for us, and that was listening evaluation. This had to do with the sound quality of the product. And ostensibly, the idea was we would collect sounds and we would present these sounds to people over headphones, usually recorded binaurally, but that's another story. What we were trying to understand was which sounds were preferred to others and why. And there was some methodology beyond that which I really won't go into. It's a lot of math, and that's beside the point. However, one of the things that we did, and it's done pretty much industry-wide, is when these listening comparisons are done, you generally only present sounds that are maybe five to seven seconds in length. And then you generally only have a gap of maybe one or two seconds between the two sounds. Why do you do that? The reason for that is we as human beings have very short acoustic memories. And so while it's easy to remember very large differences in two sounds, comparing two sounds that are very much alike, if you have a space, a significant space of time in between hearing those sounds, your ability to judge what's different about them rapidly declines. And this is what I wanted to do in this episode. So for episode nine... What we're going to do is I'm going to present those same two guitar excerpts as I did in episode eight. However, in this episode, the exact two same clips will be presented back to back. And in this way, you're going to have a much more immediate comparison between the two guitar sounds. So what I'm going to do now is present the demo, the two guitars, and I'll present them in the same order. Guitar one, guitar two, just as they were presented in episode eight. Okay, here we go.
Okay, so there you have it. Guitar one versus guitar two. Which did you prefer? All right, now let's move on. We are indeed going to discuss more about guitars in general and some philosophical aspects as well. But we're also really going to focus on Michael Harrington in this episode. And that's because Michael is one of the, I guess, I don't know what the right word would be, young guns or young lions, take your pick, in the pedal steel guitar world. There aren't that many people out there who are actively pursuing pedal steel guitar as a primary instrument, as it were. And Michael plays a lot of traditional guitar as well. Don't get me wrong. He's not beholden to one or the other. But he has a definite fascination with the instrument. And as a consequence, he's learned a great deal about their construction, but also, obviously, how one plays a pedal steel guitar. So, without further ado, we're going to now pick up more or less where we left off. And then we're going to slide our way into the discussion of the pedal steel guitar. And you'll actually hear Michael playing a few bits, including one that wasn't necessarily written for pedal steel and wasn't played on pedal steel, but it's a famous riff. Most of you will know. That's beside the point. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Here we go. This is the point in the show where things take a little bit of a turn. We've been focused primarily on traditional guitars, but now we're going to discuss the pedal steel guitar. This is something that Mike started playing. How long ago was it, Mike? Uh, like Monday, I think, is when that, no, uh, about five <laughs> years, maybe five years ago at the most. You won't believe it, folks. Yeah. How like much magic. progress. He's a quick learner. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube, you know. Yeah. That's where everyone learns everything these days. <laughs> but yeah, probably about five years, He played bagpipes before then. <laughs> You know that joke never gets old when people ask me, so I just keep doing it. It's pretty good. I think you should roll with it. <laughs> okay, so I actually wanted Mike to be here for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I wanted Mike and Mark to meet because, yeah. again, two of the coolest people I know. Mm. But I don't think, Mark, you don't really have that much background in pedal steel, right? No. In fact, it, during the break here, I was asking him how it worked. Yeah. I've and seen him, you know, on TV or video, but I've, I know hmm. this is as close as I've ever been to one. And this is oh, the wow. perfect jumping off point. Cool. So, Mike, if you would, explain that which we see before us that, unfortunately, no one listening to this can hear or rather see. <laughs> they will hear it shortly. You can Google pedal steel while yeah. you there you go. listen. There Do you that. Go. But if you would, kind of give a brief explanation. And what I would love to hear at some point is maybe some simple um, bits that, let's say, are some of the more famous riffs. Sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, I've got a double-neck guitar. Sometimes people have only one neck. The most kind of common tuning that you hear, I think, on radio in the last, you know, 30 years or so is the E9th tuning, which is on the front here, which I'll demonstrate and it's 10 strings, and they actually aren't, you know, like a guitar, you have the lowest note is the lowest string, the highest note is the highest string. But on pedal steel, it's a little different. You have these two strings called the chromatic strings. So if I'm going to go from the top to bottom, you can already hear my third string is higher, and it's the highest. So you've got, oh, uh, sorry. And you hear that and you say, well, what am I supposed to do with that? That doesn't do anything, you know. So originally they were eight-string guitars with pedals. Those were kind of the earliest forms of a pedal steel, I think, in America. 
and then uh, Buddy Emmons put two more strings on and made it 10 strings. And I'm pretty sure that um, at the time, mechanically, they couldn't fit those two strings in the middle where they normally would be from low to high. So they, I think they were actually on the bottom for the Ray Price stuff in the uh, mid-60s. I could be wrong about that. But they, they put them on top, and that's kind of just how it became the standard. You know, they never got around to changing it. And honestly, it, it works better because you get a lot of these scalar descending things with the bar in one position like this. Right. Wow. And, you know, I am i didn't move my bar at all. It's in one position, and I'm using a lot of the pedals and the levers. You can kind of hear them changing the strings. Kind of like a guitar player would bend the strings, but it's a little different. You've eight pedals, correct, on this rig? Eight pedals? Yeah. And, He's counting them. <laughs> and really, I got to double check, yeah. Uh, the first three are really just for the front neck, and the, uh, the back five are for the back neck. Um, and then I've got four knee levers, which also control strings on the front and some of the back neck. And earlier episode of the podcast, we were talking about like Webb Pierce yeah, and Bud Isaacs. Yeah. And, you know, he had a pedal that it was just one pedal and it would kind of go from this change. You know, one to a four chord and eventually Buddy Emmons split the that into two different pedals. So you get a little more uh, kind of flexibility with the tuning. You know, I was pushing down two just now, but really I'm, I could just push down one of them. That's the first pedal. So that's bending my, uh, my fifth of my chord up a whole tone to a sixth. And then the pedal that was split, the B pedal is what they call it, A, B, C, and so forth. That is actually just changing my thirds up a half step. So together you get a one to a four chord. But if you were just to do um, the first pedal only, you get one to a six minor chord, right? And then um, the second pedal only is like a suspension. Right. Um, and then you could add you know, more to that, which is what they did. They were constantly trying to expand and evolve the tuning and see how far they could push kind of the limits of this instrument. Mm -hmm. And eventually, guys, you know, added a lot more changes, and, you know, you just have more flexibility to play, I don't know, whatever, like... Um... So there's that, and who made this? For those of us civilians who don't know, what this we're guitar looking, yeah. or who made this one? So this is an Emmons guitar from 1966, Buddy Emmons, um, and well, he is kind of the. Well, I'm from 1963. <laughs> oh well, then you're in good company. Yeah. Well, that looks old. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> there you go. I, have a face I for, say that. No, I say I have that. A face for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Buddy Emmons invented this and, you know, Showbud and even Fender were making pedal steels. Fender was kind of like the big brand back in the day in the 50s. Mm -hmm. um, they would have Fender pedal steels, a single neck, a double neck that they would sell in their magazines. You could look up in the 50s and 60s. And the strings are really far above the, the board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got, you know, 
in order to play it with a, a steel bar, they have to be raised up. Yeah, because so, you're not pressing the strings against the, the fretboard here. Yeah, no, they're really just hovering over. The big steel bar is now the end of the string. Yeah, it's kind of like what your left hand would be fretting a guitar. Um, Simone Biles could walk under those strings. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so they're kind of elevated higher up, and then you have uh, picks on your fingers on your right hand, or depending if you're left-handed, you're picking hands, so um, it's a little different than like a holding a, a, a plectrum. Mm-hmm. And then it's got what looks like single coil pickups back by the bridge. Yep, yeah, and they make humbuckers. They also are making guitars that have a single coil and another single coil, and um, the first one is wound to like a guitar, mm-hmm. so it's it can handle like distortion pedals better than like a higher output pickup can. So you could have a death metal pedal steel. You could. Yeah, I'm, I'm working metal, on that right now. Metal. I'm not saying you should. <laughs> I think someone should do it. I'm sure somebody has. Well, you know, maybe if you know you don't want to do any more acoustic guitars, you can work on a, a death metal pedal steel, and then just to interject. So the eight pedals that I see before me, these go up through some sort of crank, which push on a bar, which then pushes on another bar, which is doing physically what? So you're either going to loosen the string, slacken it, or tighten it, depending on um, which way it's going to travel. Okay. And all of the strings sit on what they call fingers inside the changer. So the fingers are all of these kind of metal pieces that hang down. And actually, if I push any, you can you can see them move oh, right as they're on. working, you know? I, didn't, I had not noticed that. Yeah. So you can actually see these yep. kind of move in depending on which way they go. Okay. But yeah, the, you can lower a string, or you can even raise a string, which is really cool. Um, and you can do a lot of... You're doing that with your knee in this case. Yeah, okay. right. And most pedals are lowered, or most strings are lowered by a knee lever, but not all the time. You know, you can lower a, a string with your... That way, right? Um Or you can go raise them. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different, you know, options. It's really kind of an endless thing, which is really amazing. It's fantastic. I mean, I honestly, because I've seen you play, I've heard you play, but I've not actually been close enough to understand. And that's a very small change, small displacement hmm. with a relatively large change in pitch. Yeah. And I never knew actually where the pickups were on this. Oh, really? Yeah, no, yeah. I never knew they were down. I've never really looked. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it's really similar to like a electric guitar in that way, you know, where you've got the fretboard and then the pickup and then the bridge is pretty close to Do it. Do they tend to stay in tune or not so much? Uh, if they're set up right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm working on it, no. Um, if one knows what one is doing, well, the answer is yes. It looks to me like the load-carrying part of that is made out of cast aluminum. <laughs> That's pretty rigid. Yeah. <laughs> and those those sure look like Clusen tuners on the end. That, oh, yeah. I mean, as long as you've got the linkages set up okay, it looks like it ought to stay in tune. Right. So if there's no backlash in the... Uh-uh. If you look inside a tuner, they're just worm gears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's There's not much to them. And those are... A, if those are the tuners I think they are, they're pretty good ones. They ought to hold fine. Um, there are, you know, some some classics. And, of course, 
you know, we've talked uh, more than once about sleepwalk, and you know my whole fascination <laughs> with that because of the anomaly that's in the recording, which I still don't have not been able to figure out. Could you do a little sleepwalk for us here? Uh, yeah, sure. So that was done on a non-pedal guitar okay. with Sano and Johnny, but um, I can kind of fake my way through it so you can get the effect. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So that's just a, you know, a small little kind of demonstration of it. But what is your right foot doing? So that is just on a volume pedal, um, and it's a little harder to hear in this context because uh, of the way we have it set up. But basically, it's just kind of another part of you know what makes this kind of closer like to the human pedal? voice. Yeah, yep. So it's really a very kind of expressive thing, especially with steel guitar. But I kind of am, you know, trying to keep it just to sustain the note longer and longer. I'm not really trying to create like a vibrato effect. I mean, you can if you wanted, but that's not really typically how it's used by steel guitar players. It's more of just to kind of help sustain the note. Right. Um, right. See, you've got a lot of tonal dimensions to work with here. Yeah, it's a really flexible instrument. Yeah, it's really amazing, at, you know, of everything you can do. And um, it's constantly, you know, there's just so many things to learn about it, you know, which is why I find it so fascinating, you know. And I like guitar, six-string guitar, too, but it's just such a different beast, you know. And this is the respectable gig. Nobody smashes these on stage. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't. You wouldn't really find one of these at like a Who gig, circa nineteen seventy. <laughs> I don't think so. There are uh, there's there's at least one good photo of Jimmy Page though sitting at an MSA with cowboy boots on, and I think he's playing like I think there's Steel on Tangerine and a couple other of those tunes off Zeppelin Three. Oh, there is, there is, and there's Look definitely Lap Steel on the first record. And he played it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So could you play? A bit from slowly. I'd have to hear it. I'm, you know, not off the top or of my head. I can't do it. I mean, I, that's the first one that came to mind simply because of, the, you know, its lineage. And I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. So um, it's kind of something similar to like this. That's like the intro, right? Um, here's another intro, Motel Time by Johnny Paycheck. but you know that's just kind of me wow. faking my way through it yeah it's uh it's an interesting instrument this for is sure, the you know? this is i think it's fair to say the rube goldberg of all stringed instruments there this is much more sophisticated than i ever thought mm -hmm. I'm, this is great yeah. this is, <laughs> I, I didn't know a lap steel and a pedal steel were different mm -hmm. and they oh, yeah. really are 
I mentioned Rube Goldberg because I think about something being complicated. But when I saw all the, the levers underneath. Yeah, I, I mean, wasn't that's prepared a, for that. That's a, <laughs> like, wow. wait a minute. I, I, it was upside down. I didn't know what it was right. when I first looked at it. I've seen a lot of instruments. I didn't even know what this was mm-hmm. until you flipped it over. Yeah, I mean, and when you saw it, it was pretty much assembled. Like, I have to screw in all of the legs. I have to put the pedal. Like, this rack is fastened by just a wing nut on a screw. So Okay, now be honest. Are the modern ones, modern designs easier to work with and reassemble, or are they just all this complicated? It's all pretty much the same thing, yeah. Um, you know, I think the modern guitars are, like, built really well and they might not kind of have as many issues with tuning as maybe like some of the older more homemade steel guitars that were you know being made in the 50s i mean those guys were taking like coat rack like hooks and putting them on their guitars and drilling holes in like the headstock to put it somewhere so they could make their own you know makeshift oh, version the string that way yeah because no one knew well, i think it, i've seen that really what was happening yeah you know it was just on the radio one day and people were trying to figure it out you know and i think it was all i can't remember where it was done but there were guys like paul bigsby who had a lot to do with building kind of the early steel guitars with pedals where did you get this this guitar yes um i had to drive to nashville to pick it up but i mean there are people in michigan who have them there are people in california did the guy in nashville know you were doing that what picking it up oh yeah you know he bought it I bought it off oh, him, okay. you know. But he was another guitar player or steel guitar player. Well, how did you find it? Oh, well, there's a um, a website on the Internet called the Steel Guitar Forum. Of course there is. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty much you pay $5 to be a member there one time. And, you know, there's just so much information that people just give out for free. It's such a great resource. Um, and, you know, a lot of people become friends through it and, buy and sell these kind of guitars through it just because it's such a specialized thing that you know it's really hard to buy any of these off like reverb or ebay just because you don't know what you're going to get into sure and a lot of those people selling it on there you know they could just be like a widow or you know inherited a guitar and they have no idea what it is you know um so they just put it on there and you ask them questions and it's they don't know yeah it's just you know it's not their fault it's just you know so this was in good shape when you got it it was in pretty good shape. I had to take it to a guy out in Traverse City that uh, I'm friends with, and he kind of, you know, put some work into it for me. And but, so how do you like it? I mean, if you're playing it, it must be okay. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, this guitar is kind of a little more rare, and uh, you know, they didn't really make too many of these, so it's it's a pretty special guitar to me. So I enjoy it. And who who is making pedal steel guitars? New guitars. Um, MSA is a company. Emmons actually just kind of resurfaced and under a new ownership, so they're making guitars based off of this design now, which okay. is really neat. They're called the ReSound 65 model, which is really cool. Carter is another brand. Mullen is a popular brand out in Colorado. So most of those, most of the guitars you see are through those companies. Um, ShowPro is another. They take the Showbud kind of lineage and are making new versions of those guitars. Is is uh, Alan, um, is he actually building now or is he doing... Uh, well, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say or, yeah. you know. Alan is a mutual friend of me and Mark J's and uh, he's designing a steel guitar that it's really amazing. 
it's pretty mind blowing, you know, what he's doing. So he's hopefully a, he gets it. He's he's a pretty bright cat. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully he gets that out in the next year or two. I don't know what's going on. I think he he was trying to figure out I think how much height he wanted to put on his necks or something like that. Because these have only been around for maybe seventy years really and they weren't really even there was no real kind of standard until i think maybe the 70s you know so it's it's a very young instrument which is really amazing so it really sounds as though it was born primarily of experimentation by some people who simply wanted different voicings yeah you know people who were you know curious which is really cool right on cool all right well, I know you have to bounce. I know you have places to go. I know Mark has places to go. So I'm going to have to wrap this up. But I got to tell you, I'm really <laughs> psyched and I'm really glad both of you gentlemen were able to make it here today. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having been us. been an outstanding hang. And this, this has been a real treat. Can I tell you one of the funny things I just noticed while you were talking? I was looking up lap steels. Uh-huh. And, of course, they're a lot simpler. Oh yeah, and one of the there's a Recording King is a brand that makes good inexpensive instruments. Yeah, they have a Recording King lap steel, and the bridge looks like it's a piece of aluminum angle stock. It dawned on me since you're playing that with this, the bar and you don't press the strings up against the fretboard, you don't need to worry about intonation. Notice your your saddles are straight, and you're not as this nut is straight. Yeah, I you mean, don't need any of that stuff because you're not stretching the strings to bend them against the fretboard. Yeah, no, it's all done with the bar, right. and um, you've got, you know, these are kind of, right. the stops are fine-tuned, you know, yeah. to reach yeah. where you want them to go. I mean, there's like a million different ways that, you know, you could tune these kind of guitars, and there are a lot of discussions on how to tune them, but yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Now you want to go to the next level of, of dweeb? This uses something called equal intonation. Um, Hmm. Violinists probably use just intonation most of the time. Yeah, that's what this is. Okay, I was just going to say, you're probably Mm -hmm. not using equal intonation, are you? No. You know what that is? But there are some people that do it. But the difference between the two is what? Well, the Pythagorean ideal, Pythagoreans were a cult, really, who believed that the, the universe could be described by numbers which was pretty revolutionary at the time. Mm-hmm. But they, did, for reasons that, you know, what does a cult do anything, <laughs> decided that ratios of small integers would describe the world. And so if you look at the Pythagorean intervals, it's ratios of small integers. An octave is 2 over 1, a perfect fourth is 3 over 2, and one of them is 4 over 3, something like that. You'd have to go look it up. Hmm. The problem is it doesn't work in practice because the frequency you get for a note depends on where you were before you got there. And so it doesn't work. And so the history of Western music is partly the history of trying to figure out corrections to make that work. Well, that's intonation. To temper it. To temper it, yeah, temperament. Hmm. Temperament is the word I should have used. Hmm. Um, so just temperament is one of those schemes. Like, have you ever heard of a... a collection of pieces by Bach called the Well-Tempered Clavier. Yeah, of course. Mm. Clavier is the German word for piano, and well is a tempering scheme. Hmm. And oh, so wow. guitars use equal tempering. That's that's why the frets get to be straight. And so, gu- oh. so guitars have a slightly different sound than a violin or something because they use a different tempering of scheme. Course. Mm-hmm. And I was about to ask what you're using, and you're probably using just tempering. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's not like, as you say, it's not like because you're fretting the strings and in effect constantly stretching them, yeah. essentially by working them. Yeah, that's what all these calculations I did, those are all based on string stretching. Hmm. And it didn't matter before steel strings because the elastic modulus with nylon is functionally zero. Mm -hmm. The elastic modulus of cat gut, strangely enough, is a little more than nylon. Hmm. But the elastic modulus of cat gut is 15 times less than steel, so it doesn't matter. So the classical guitars have hardly any intonation in them because you don't get any errors. Hmm. Or they're so oh, yeah. small you don't care. When they got steel strings in them, depending on who you believe, 20s or 30s, I guess, all of a sudden the frequency errors got big enough, something had to change. And so that's, that's why they have those offset saddles on guitars, because it corrects partially sure. that. It doesn't correct them all, but it sure. partially corrects it. Right. You'll never really see a guitar with the saddles where they're perfectly mm. aligned. Well, I, I was doing some training for a big guitar company on a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And to make the point, I grabbed a couple of their guitars and I just moved the saddles so they were right at the scale length. So like if it was a 23 and 24 and 3 quarter scale length, I set all the saddles at 24 and 3 quarters, or as close as I could get them. So no intonation at all. And I gave it to one of the really good musicians and here, play this. He was in physical pain because this is just awful. This is, he's like, what have he, I done to you? He's, I started playing and he was just cringing. He was shaking his head. It's like this, uh, no, I just can't yeah. do this. And all yeah. I did was move the saddles. So the, your steel guitar, you don't need to do that because you're never stretching the strings. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is mm. cool. You gaze upon it and you see frets, right? Yeah. yeah but those are just a suggestion. Yeah. yeah. That's just it. They're placeholders. Have you ever you know? been around a little kid learning to play a violin family instrument? No. I've had to do it twice. <laughs> it's bad times, man. <laughs> my son learned to play viola, and my daughter learned to play upright bass. And upright bass, you, if you're not quite in the right place with your finger, you can kind of get away with mm -hmm. it. The viola, man, not, not so that much. first year was rough. Now, he yeah. got pretty good at it. it yeah. But every parent of one of these kids experiences this. Because there's no fret. They don't yep. know where to put their yep. finger, and that's part of what they're learning. So yeah. the teacher got pinstriping tape and put it on the neck about where the fret ought to be. And so they at least got a target. You know, when they, yeah. when, when they get you know, 20 or 30 of these little kids sawing away, they were at least stochastically in tune. Yeah. <laughs> As a, a parent, you spend a lot of time smiling through gritted teeth and clapping. <laughs> yeah, any, any, any performance of your child, you're just like, that was great. Yeah, sorry, Sarah. Um, but you actually were good, Sarah, so I'm just using that as a poor example. I was going to say, maybe Jacob Pistorius was like, no, I got this. You know, he's, you know, you don't really yeah, need, maybe. in Jacob's world, he didn't need frets. He just, you know. Sure. Well, these little kids who learn to play these eensy-weensy little violins when they're four, mm -hmm. they, they get through that stage yeah. pretty quick. So by the time they're a little older, they're better than everybody else just because yeah. they've got it figured out. Obviously, the whole process of assimilation, but it's also back down to muscle memory mm -hmm. because you, you know where hmm. the position fundamentally where your hand has to be. That's, yeah, that's all the, that that is. They're, they're training the software early on, and with that speed, they've got that, that age, they've got just lightning-fast reflexes. Yeah. Well, right on. Okay. You need to get going, and you need to get going, mm -hmm. and I need to walk the dog. Yeah, this is, man, what a hoot. This has been great. Right? Yeah, that's fun. I, dude, I've been jonesing. As always, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen in to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. For now, though, it's time to pull the faders down 
and say goodbye from the subterranean playground. I'm your host, Mark Allen J. Peace. Tales from the Subterranean Playground is produced and brought to you by Immersify Recording Services, LLC.